0: Princesses and dragons, animals in nature, children and families around the world, holidays and traditions, current social issues. This year on Midtown Bookshelf, we have turned the pages on an endless amount of topics, exploring picture books related to almost everything. Over the past five months, we have shared over 50 books with our listeners, some new to us, some of our favorite classics, some that transported us to make-believe worlds, and some that gave us a snapshot into history, but all books that we found meaningful and engaging in some way. Picture books are an amazing medium that can sometimes be taken for granted. They can bring light to social issues, make us change our mindset, or sometimes just give us a much-needed laugh. We at Midtown Bookshelf have loved getting to share the magic of picture books with our listeners. Whether it's advice for teachers or parents, or just a chance to reflect on a subject, it's brought us great joy to explore new topics each week and delve into the world of children's literature. This week brings us to the close of our first season. And with that, it's time to look back on all that we created this year and share with you our favorite moments. Seventeen episodes later, I'm Allison Diejack, and this is Midtown Bookshelf. Hello, everyone. You're tuning in to Midtown Bookshelf here on our very own Midtown Radio. Today we are recording our last episode before we start back up again in September. I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts Matt Rappoldt Good morning! and Serena McDermott. Hello! So Matt and Serena, we started this show back in February of this year Part of me feels like we've been doing this forever, but another part feels like it's just begun. How does it feel to have 17 episodes done for the show this season?
1: I mean, it feels pretty surreal, to be honest. Uh, I can remember back to when when we first came up with this idea for Midtown Bookshelf and how it felt to be planning out that first episode, and it sort of felt like you know, it would never really come together. And, you know, there's all these questions about, you know, who would say what, whether the technology would work. None of us had really done anything too much like this before. So it feels pretty amazing to all of a sudden sit back and realize we have 17 episodes under our belts.
2: Yeah, and it's pretty remarkable, you know, 17 episodes later, how much the show has changed, how much the world has changed in this time, too. And we've been kind of figuring things out as we go along. So it's very exciting.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I'm just always amazed that we are still finding these fantastic picture books week after week. I mean, obviously, there's more than 50 great picture books in the world. But it just seems like every week, you know, we come across even more great authors that we haven't heard of before. And it's just been such a fun chance to uh, learn about all these new picture books and new authors. It's, it's really fantastic. And lots of great music, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think back to our very first episode that we recorded as a Midtown Radio special on World Radio Day. Our show had no introduction, no songs. It was basically just us reading our books and discussing for about 45 minutes. So our show has certainly gone through a few changes over time. Matt and Serena, are there any moments that stood out to you as sort of turning points when you really felt the show had started to come together?
1: Yeah, I would say that one turning point for me was realizing how hard it is just to go unscripted and talk unscripted about a book for a length of time and uh, and have it actually sound presentable. So for the first few episodes of our show, uh, we, you know, I, I prepared, you know, I read the books and I, I thought I knew a little bit about them and I came with a few discussion questions. But when you're on radio, every single syllable that you're saying is picked up on and it can sometimes be hard to follow a train of thought all the way through a discussion without having it prepared or scripted a little bit more. So a big turning point for me was I think around like episode four or five where I just got so frustrated with Uh, my inability to express the way that i really thought and i was like you know what i gotta do it i gotta make the jump to a bit more of a scripted discussions so that was huge and that really allowed me to think through of my my thoughts beforehand and um, and really make sure that what i'm saying on the radio is really what i'm intending to say
2: yeah i think it was episode three for me when we um, first started using that Google Doc to plan instead of just showing up at the Kitchener Public Library with our books and saying, oh, hey guys, I look what I brought today. So the episode three, we started planning and then I just looked today and we have uh, 69 pages of in that planning document now. So the, every episode since then has been 69 pages in total.
0: Wow, yeah. Uh- A little bit of organization and prep work goes a long way, I think, when it came to making this show. Um, For me, I think that um, the biggest one was when we got our theme music going. So for those that don't know, the the little song that you hear in the introduction over while we're talking um, is a song by Matt and I's band, Eye the Mountain. It's called Owls. And um, I think it was our fourth episode, perhaps, or fifth episode that we started using that as introduction and outro music. And I remember sitting, listening to the episode on Sunday morning, the first one that had that music. And I just thought, wow, we've created a professional radio show because it just, it made it sound like something that you would hear, you know, on CBC or, or something with theme music. And, you know, every week when I hear that theme music play, it just, it seems so comforting now and it's, um, just has made the radio show, I think, sound even more professional, I guess, than I could have ever imagined. So that was a big one for me.
1: Yeah, it's really funny with that theme music. You, you mentioned that it is one of our songs that we we sort of used or appropriated into this new uh, this new role. And now every time I hear that song or think about that song, I'm always like, "Oh yeah, Owls, the Midtown Bookshelf theme." <laughs> and so now every time I hear it, I have like Midtown Bookshelf in my mind.
0: Yeah. Well, today, each of us have chosen some of our favorite moments from this season out of those 69 pages of planning documents. (laughs) Some clips are from picture books. We have some discussions and some of our favorite songs. So to start us off, I've brought in one of the first books you heard on our program. For our very first episode on World Radio Day back in February, we brought in books about diversity. Serena shared with us this simple yet powerful book of a child who is exploring their neighborhood and learning what it means to show empathy for those around you, particularly those who are different from you. This is Come With Me by Holly McGee, illustrated by Pascal Lemaitre.
2: All over the world, the news told and told and retold of anger and hatred, people against people, and the little girl was frightened by everything she heard and saw and felt. She asked her papa if there was something she could do to make the world a better place. Her papa said, come with me. Hand in hand, they walked out the door to the subway. Waiting there on the platform, her papa tipped his hat to those he met, so the little girl did too. They rode the train through the tunnels underground. The girl and her papa were brave and kind, And that day, they won a tiny battle over fear for themselves and for the people of the world. The news kept telling of anger and hatred, and the little girl asked her mama what she could do to make the world a better place. Her mama said, come with me. And I don't want to take away uh, all the mystery of the book, so I'll just, I'll leave it uh, there for a little bit. I'll just tell you about that the girl... um, when she's on the subway ride with her father you don't hear this in the text but within the illustrations you can see that there's a number of um, like there's a, a very diverse crowd on the subway. There's people wearing hijabs and turbans and um, just people of all walks of life there and then when she goes out with her mom it's similar where she's just meeting all sorts of different people and meeting them um, sort of with this, this open heart and then ultimately she ends up Uh, going out on her own, and she makes a friend along the way. And the friend says, where are you going? And the little girl says, come with me, because two people together are stronger than one. So I'm going to pick up just at the very end of this book. The girl, the boy, and the dog were happy to be out. One step at a time, they understood what they could do to make the world a better place. They could go on. Brave, gentle, strong, and kind to one another and all living things. As tiny as it was, their part mattered to the world. Your part matters too. Come with me.
1: You just heard a reading of the book Come With Me, written by Holly McGee and illustrated by Pascal Lemaitre, taken from our very first Midtown Bookshelf episode. One very exciting, but financially hazardous, spin off of doing this show is that each week we get to research and discover the very best picture books from across Canada and around the world. For book lovers like ourselves, who take great pride and care in the careful construction and curation of our own home libraries, it can be hard to resist the urge to run out to our local bookshops or right now the online bookstores and spend a fortune on all of the remarkable picture books we find. From episode 17, National Indigenous Persons Day, Here is our discussion on building and growing an intentional home or classroom library.
2: Well, as I shared, I came across this book because I was shopping for some board books. I have an absolutely huge collection of picture books, all of sort of varying qualities. Um, and I've accumulated these picture books through so many sources, from gifts and hand-me-downs and garage sales and uh, those books that they, they're clearing out of the library and they sell for 25 cents. Um, I even have some of my own books from childhood, same as you, Matt. And uh, I actually don't have very many board books though. So I felt like I was sort of starting this correct collection from scratch. And it's exciting because when I'm starting this new collection, I get to be so much more intentional about building up my library of board books and really think about the messages that I want to be sharing with my child regularly. But it's also a little intimidating because I want to make sure that I'm choosing great books and I want to be putting my money to good use. So I was wondering if you two could reflect on your own personal libraries of children's books and if you have any advice for read uh, listeners at home who are maybe just starting to build up their own home library
1: yeah for sure I mean I mean we have a large selection of picture books uh, only a few board books at our place um, but for me there's a couple things a couple criteria that I look for when it comes to, to buying picture books or buying board books or really buying any books, but I mean, especially picture books, because they can be so intensely personal, personal with the images. There's, you can interact with them on a different level than you can with a novel. So for me, I mean, I always look for something that grabs my attention. And usually that is the credit to the illustrators who, um, who are able to present the story in a way that feels really meaningful. And then the other part of it is that I want to make sure that my library, like you said, is representative of a diversity of voices, a diversity of opinions, and also that um, are stories that are really meaningful. I mean, not just to me, but about subjects that I'm really interested in. And I think that especially when you're talking about creating a library as a teacher, a library for your classroom, it's so important to be intentional about the books that you bring in because you want your students to be reading stories that are important and reading stories that are uh, and, and having discussions that are critical and that will shape the way that they view the world. So it's so important to be intentional about the books that we bring in because the words that we share as teachers or as parents are the words that they're going to be sharing. And, and, and those are the words that are going to be shaping the way that they understand this, the, the, the whole world. So it's incredibly important to be intentional. And I'm glad to hear, Serena, that you are being so intentional about that. That's awesome.
2: Well, it's, I it's, envy
1: absolutely.
2: you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. But you know what really made me realize that I needed to be thoughtful and start seeking out some really good quality board books was that I have, you know, maybe six of them here at home, and I have literally memorized these books. I could recite for you these books, and they're just, you know, they're they're fine, but they're kind of inane, like just little rep, repetitive um, things that they're not really instilling any sort of educational or moral value. So I thought, okay, I need to make a change here. Because if I'm going to be memorizing these things, then they should be powerful words that imprint something positive. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, it's great to have those classics. But I also, so, also think that it's great to get some books in your personal library that are going to kind of expand, um, expand your child's mind a little bit, you know, just push their thinking a little bit more, you know, not always showing them books of children that look like them, not always showing them books that have children with Um, you know standard traditional English names you know it's it's really great when a child can try to pronounce a new name for the first time or they're exposed to a different part of the country or a different part of the world I think it's really important um that kids are reading about characters that are different from them or that have different perspectives, and usually that means looking at authors that come from a variety of different backgrounds, you know, choosing um, authors that come from all different cultures, different countries, um, because they are going to have their own perspectives that they bring to writing, and um, those stories are going to be just a really great variety for your children or students.
1: I might also add, though, that it's equally important for parents and teachers to be critical of their existing libraries, because so often when we create our libraries, like you said, Allison, we do gravitate towards the books that we're familiar with or the books that are classics, and that means that we might be missing out on whole perspectives or whole narratives or whole stories that were not prevalent to us when we were growing up, Um, and I mean, look at this, and we're talking about Indigenous issues. When we were growing up, that was not very part of the mainstream curriculum or not part of the mainstream narratives that we were hearing. So you have a whole generation of students who grew up without those stories. And as teachers now, it's really, really important that we make sure we're critical of our libraries and of the books we're bringing to our class to ensure that those narratives are brought in and we're not just defaulting to the same old stories that were read to us when we were growing up.
0: Yeah, a neat thing to do if you kind of love those classic stories is to actually take a little bit of time to look into if there are different versions of the same story. Um, Back this year, I was supply teaching for a class and i actually read a version of cinderella that was based in the caribbean and it was so cool because the children loved the story of cinderella but they got to see it in a different country, different languages, different parts of the of the caribbean culture that were coming out. it was really special. so that's a really neat thing you can do.
2: yeah, with this discussion of um incorporating different viewpoints into your picture book collection i'm reminded of allison's book from last week where she read the day you begin by jacqueline woodson and i think we talked in that book about how you know we can have a lot of blind spots in our understanding of the world and we can't be aware of those until we've been exposed to new points of view so as adults and for the children in our lives these these uh, diverse points of view are going to be really beneficial
1: In addition, uh, picture books offer such a great way to bring in authentic voices into the classroom. It's such, I mean, it's sometimes teachers or parents uh, can be afraid of bringing in, um, you know, reaching out to somebody from a community that you're unfamiliar with, or, or, you know, can be concerned about how big of a hassle it might be to have to send those emails and have those correspondences. I definitely think you should do that. 100% go for it. But also, if you're in a pinch and you want to bring in an authentic voice, grab a picture book because those people are telling their story through words and pictures and that's a great way to expose your students or your kids to authentic indigenous voices or authentic voices from different perspectives. That was our discussion on Building Diverse and Equitable Libraries, taken from episode 17, which aired last week and celebrated National Indigenous Persons Day. Now in the eighth episode of our show about meals, I shared an adorable little picture book called Awasis and the World-Famous Bannock. In this story, Awasis, a young Cree girl, gets culinary assistance from her forest animal friends after she accidentally drops her kokum's homemade bannock in the river. Now, of course, this story ends happily with a great big interspecies bannock feast. And this song from that episode is called Rockin' Table Mesa by the Grammy-nominated Indigenous drum group Young Spirit.
0: Rockin' Table Mesa by Young Spirit. If you're just tuning in, I'm Allison Dijack and you're listening to Midtown Bookshelf. Today marks the last episode of our first season, so we are looking back at some of our favorite moments from this past year before we wrap up the show for the summer. Throughout our program, we have always made an effort to showcase a diversity of authors and artists, and highlight different social issues that can be discussed in picture books. In recent months, when we saw the wrongful deaths of Black and Indigenous people of color become highlighted in our world, we felt it necessary to speak up and highlight some books that might be helpful for those wanting to start a conversation in their household or with a class.
1: There can no longer be any question surrounding the existence of systemic racism. It is real, it is widespread, and it must be called out and fought by every citizen in every nation. Love, compassion, and unity must now become our new system. Here at Midtown Bookshelf, we pledge to not remain silent.
2: We pledge to
0: listen and better understand the experience of Black people and people of color.
2: We pledge to work towards the full and empty embrace of race and ethnicity
1: we pledge to demonstrate equality through action and we pledge to be anti-racist in every environment
2: above all we pledge to
0: take the lead from people of color in our community and to listen and learn
2: from their voices and actions that is why this week we are choosing to amplify those voices and stories that need to be heard
1: Together, we can build a community, a country, and a world that is a safe place for everyone. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf.
2: That was our introduction from episode 15 on Black Lives Matter. Our next pick is from our 16th episode, where we reflected back on the school year as it drew to a close. That week, Allison brought us the book, The Day You Begin, by Jacqueline Woodson, illustrated by Rafael Lopez. The book is based on the poem, Brown Girl Dreaming, a poem about Jacqueline Woodson's childhood growing up in the 1960s as an African American. Woodson took the spirit of that poem and turned it into a raw and heartwarming children's book that led to a great discussion about supporting marginalized children in our lives. Here is that discussion.
1: That is a simply gorgeous story. I would love to share that with the class. I mean, just the way that that the author has written it, it's just, it feels like a poem. It just, it really hits you emotionally when you hear the stories of those children.
2: Yeah, I think what I really loved about that book is it sort of um, violated my expectations of what the book was going to be. When I hear a book about being different, usually it's sort of this very standard message of it's good to be different and that they kind of leave it at that and I think that this author has done a really beautiful job of illustrating the emotional toll that it can take to feel different and then recognizing that kids need more than just a message of well just appreciate that you're different that's a good thing And instead giving a more complex message of, it can be difficult to feel different. You will be able to find connections with people and and not feel so different when you start talking to them. And still with a little dash of that message of, it is a valuable thing to be different. Exactly.
0: Yeah, this book is a really special one. And um, I hadn't ever actually heard of Jacqueline Woodson's work before, but she has a really amazing collection of uh, picture books and uh, sort of teenage novels and poems as well. And a lot of them focus on um, children of color and them telling their stories. And I think that's a really important perspective that we you know, should be opening ourselves up to and and sharing with children and students as well. So this story is obviously full of great lessons for kids, and I think it would be a really powerful book to share with a class. But I think it also provides some really important lessons for adults and teachers as well about what children, particularly children of color, can face when they are at school. I'm wondering what messages would you take away from this book about creating an environment that is welcoming and celebratory of diversity.
1: There was a couple things that I thought about in this book, um, things that when I reflect on my own teaching practice, it took me a long time to think of and learn. Um, And one of those things is just how intentional you have to be in your everyday routines in order to make sure that the children feel safe and to make sure that they feel comfortable in the class And that you're not putting them in a situation where um, they can feel left out or they can they feel like they can't participate. Um, For example, in the book, it talks about how um, the students are expected and Angelina is expected to write about her experience at summer. Um, And that's something that I've run into in in classes before where sometimes you, as a teacher, you think, oh, this this prompt that we're going to be using is, is a great one. Like everyone's going to be able to write such great stuff about it. Um, but then you don't re- you don't take into account the fact that, you know, some students might have different experiences. Maybe summer wasn't a great experience for some students. So you really have to be intentional about maybe providing two different prompts so that students don't feel like they have to reflect on an experience that was negative for them. Same thing in the book when it talks about choosing teams in gym class. I mean, I'm, as teachers, I'm sure we've all heard students make those comments of, you know, oh, I don't want so-and-so to be on, on my team. And that's a really scarring experience for whoever is the victim of that insult. And so you really, as a teacher, have to be so intentional and so um, prepared when you're thinking about your routines and the structures of your practice so that you can anticipate what's going to happen and head those things off so that they, so that students in your class don't feel victimized in a a situation that could be avoided.
2: I agree with you, Matt, that we need to be really reflective as teachers and constantly ask ourselves, how do my experiences in the past, how do my preconceived notions, how are they playing into my practice as a teacher? How are they changing the way that I interact with students? Because invariably we have experiences that we think are shared between all of the students that we're teaching, but that's not the case. We all come from different places and backgrounds and we need to be in an effortful way, be mindful of that. Um, And then I guess the other message that I took from this book was just kind of reinforcing how damaging it can be to have other people laugh at you or give you a hard time or, or make you feel other. Um, as an adult, we have a lot more skills in dealing with that and brushing it off. Um, you adults tend to feel more self-confident, I think. So we can, you know, if someone made a comment about our name, we could easily brush it off and say, you know, that that just reflects poorly on them, not on me. But as a kid, you're you're so much more sensitive to these things. So I think that book helped me to just remember how sensitive these things can be how much it can hurt to have that part of your identity um like made to be other mm-hmm. so
0: i appreciate the book for that mm-hmm. yeah wonderful comments Serena and matt i yeah, i was really happy that i found this book i think it shares A really special message um, and especially really fitting for you know the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening right now across the world and in our own region. Um, It's really important to remember these messages of um, you know what life can be like for um, Black children growing up and how it's our job as adults to make sure we are doing the absolute most that we can to make their school's experience successful and a positive experience and just creating that inclusive environment.
1: This next clip is a story Allison shared in one of our early episodes. Back in April, we celebrated World Forest Day with picture books that in some way related to trees. While I opted for a classic story about forest protection, Lynn Cherry's The Great Kapok Tree, Allison brought in a hilarious little board book that has since become one of my favorites. The story is so simple and so ingenious that I'd go so far as to say it should be a staple in any young child's library. From episode 4, World Forest Day, this is Allison reading Oliver Jeffers' book, A Little Stuck.
0: Floyd got his kite stuck in a tree. He threw his shoe to knock it loose. Stuck. He tried a cat. Stuck. (laughs) So you see now his kite, his cat, and a shoe are all stuck up in this tree. A ladder. Stuck. Some paint. Stuck. A duck, a chair, a bicycle, a sink, a car, an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> and this picture of the orangutan is, I, you, you should look up this book afterwards. So little Floyd is carrying this humongous orangutan above his head and the orangutan does not look pleased.
1: Also, look at the size of Floyd's legs.
2: Yes, stuck, <laughs> stuck, stuck. stuck. Animal that you win in the. Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
0: So we now see the tree that is completely filled with all of these objects, and none of them are working out. So Floyd tried a rhinoceros, a lorry, a ship, a house a whale and the fire brigade but they all got stuck then Floyd had an idea he got a saw And we see Floyd standing, looking at the tree with his saw rested up upon its trunk. And he threw it up in the tree (laughs) and that was it. The kite came down, but everything else stayed. (laughs) Stuck. And we see night has come and the moon is shining. And all of these objects are all in the tree. And there's a little speech bubble. The fireman that's in there says, hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea.
2: That was A Little Stuck by Oliver Jeffers. Next, I'd like to share with you Matt's selection from our Community Day episode. During this episode from May, we discussed what it means to be a community and celebrated the magic that can happen when communities work together. Matt's pick was not only from an author in our local community of Kitchener, but it also features a community of friends and family who love and support the spunky main character, Edmund. I chose this book because Edmund made a lasting impression on me with his adventurous spirit and strong community ties. I hope you enjoy discovering the character of Edmund as much as I did. Here is Edmund Unravels by Andrew Kolb. It's funny,
1: when talking about a ball of yarn, The end is actually the beginning. This end, for example, is the beginning of Edmund Loom, a little ball of energy. He was always on the lookout for adventure. From the time he could roll, Edmund loved to bounce down the three stairs to explore. His parents loved Edmund's enthusiasm, but a trip around the corner could mean hours spent reeling him in and rolling him back up. Edmund tried to keep it together. On most days he kept to a routine of breakfast, school, chores, dinner, and then finally bed. But some days Edmund just couldn't resist the tug of discovery. The older he got, The bigger he got, the farther away he could travel. His parents found it harder and harder to pull him back. And in this page, we see Edmund, with his bags packed, waving goodbye to his little ball-of-yarn parents as he boards a bus with his yarn friends. Edmund loved the sights and sounds of new places. He was having so much fun he thought he might never go back home. There were challenges and scary times too, but even those were part of the adventure. And on this page, we see Edmund hopping away in fear of a gang of very large, but also very cuddly, kittens. (laughs) There was so much to experience and so many interesting people to meet. If his parents could see what he was up to, they would be so surprised. But soon, Edmund realized how far he was from home and that something was missing. Edmund felt sad and alone. The sights and sounds weren't as much fun. Then, Edmund noticed a welcome tug and the joy of bouncing up three very familiar front stairs. Edmund rolled through the door and found just what he was missing. Familiar places, friendly faces. His family and friends had all pulled together to bring Edmund back home and roll him back up. Of course Edmund continued to journey, but now he was sure to visit home before completely unraveling. Besides, when there is nothing left but the beginning of a ball of yarn, it's actually the end.
2: That was Edmund Unravels by Kitchener Local, Andrew Kolb, originally shared during our Community Day episode. Now I'd like to share a song from our episode on the International Children's Book Day and Hans Christian Andersen Award nominee, Isabel Arsenault. Arsenault is a Canadian illustrator who made the shortlist for this prestigious award, which recognizes lifetime achievement in children's literature. Isabel Arsenault's illustrations are captivating, unique, and defy the expectations of what children's book art looks like. And for that episode, I chose a song that I think lives up to the creativity and uniqueness that Arsenault's illustrations demonstrate. It features the ukulele, Inuktitut lyrics, and Inuit throat singing. This song is Play in the Snow from Inuk singer Asiva.
1: The song Play in the Snow by Asiva. Thanks for joining us here on Midtown Bookshelf for our season finale. We're recapping our favorite moments from the past 17 episodes of season one. Next, we have a fun little clip from our 14th episode Kings, Queens, and Picture Books. Now, one of my favorite parts of putting together this show is always writing the introduction. And when I think of great radio, I think of the famous CBC hosts and programs that I grew up with. Michael Enright on the Sunday edition, Q, Terry O'Reilly's Under the Influence, The Current, formerly with Anna Maria Tremonti and now Matt Galloway. To me, these programs represented and still do represent the gold standard in radio broadcasting. And when we started planning Midtown Bookshelf, I noticed that all of them had something in common. The Introduction Monologue. Sometimes quirky, sometimes serious, always entertaining and enlightening, a good introduction monologue acts as both the program's hook as well as its compass, drawing listeners in while simultaneously setting the tone and its direction. For this monologue, I tried to channel my inner Michael Enright, veering from comical to insightful and then back again. From episode 14, Kings, Queens, and Picture Books, Here is my introduction monologue. Hear ye, hear ye, gather round the court of Midtown Bookshelf, where today, only the most majestic, regal, and worthy books are being crowned. Today is the Victoria Day weekend, a holiday that celebrates Canada's continued connection to the British monarchy. And while to many, the concept of monarchy Kings, queens, princesses, and princes may seem archaic and outdated. Just one look at the sea of flag waving adulation that greeted Will and Kate in 2011, or the continued ubiquity of Disney princesses in our school classrooms, shows us that, archaic or not, the idea of monarchy is still intensely relevant in the 21st century. But why is that? Well, unsurprisingly, I think one answer can be found in books. In literature, we find royalty everywhere, and it's full of twisting contradictions. Kings and queens can be either conniving or benevolent. Princes and princesses are interchangeably dough-headed or heroic and we see stories of princesses rebelling successfully against their tyrant fathers, common folk outsmarting nobility, riches and status portrayed as a reward or as the cause of tragic downfall. Indeed, in literature the concept of royalty stands as a seemingly universal catch-all for the great virtues and vices of the human condition. Valor, benevolence, betrayal, tragedy... Justice, all of these are hallmarks of monarchical stories from the Odyssey to Shakespeare and all the way to the Game of Thrones. In picture books, the concept of monarchy also has found lasting relevance. Celebrated contemporary authors have used children's affinity for princesses, castles, and knights to teach lessons on feminism, equity, kindness, and inclusiveness. Such themes also make for wonderful and engaging tales, and today you will be hearing a few of these. So hear ye, hear ye, sound the trumpets, pound out the drums, gather round all ye adventurers and brave readers of books. You're listening to Midtown Bookshelf. Our royal court of reading is now in session.
2: Thank you, Matt, for bringing in that wonderful monologue from week 14. Now let's rewind to early April. The pandemic had just started and we were all stuck inside. That week inspired us to host a very merry Midtown Bookshelf episode. It was full of books that made us laugh and feel good. I wanted to share this silly story I picked that had us all laughing that week. Here is the book with no pictures from our fifth episode. This is a book with no pictures. It might seem like no fun to have someone read you a book with no pictures, It probably seems boring and serious, except here is how books work. Everything the words say, the person reading the book has to say, no matter what. That's the deal, that's the rule. So that means even if the words say, blork, wait, what? That doesn't even mean anything. Blurf, wait a (laughs) second, what? This isn't even the kind of book I want to read. How many more pages are there? And I have to say every word that's in the book? Uh Uh-oh. I am a monkey who taught myself to read. (sighs) Hey, I'm not a monkey. And now I am reading you this book with my monkey mouth in my monkey voice. That's not true. I'm not a monkey. Also, I am a robot monkey. What? I didn't want to say these words. What kind of book is this? And my head is made of blueberry pizza. Wait a second.
3: <laughs>
2: what? Is this book over yet? Can I stop reading? No? There are more pages. I have to read the rest? My only friend in the whole wide world is a hippo named Boo Boo Butt.
3: <laughs> and
2: I'm going to stop it right there. I'm sure you guys can tell by this point a class is usually rolling on the floor last.
0: Episode 5, The Merry Midtown Bookshelf, also featured a pick from Matt, which is a favorite of mine, Jillian Jigs to the rescue. Here is a clip from our great discussion after this book about the incredibly lovable female heroine Jillian Jiggs.
1: And that is Jillian Jiggs by Phoebe Gilman.
2: Oh, there's and- so much nostalgia in that oh, book. No. I
1: really it really is just a phenomenal book. One of my favorites.
2: Yeah, that was repetitive. That- Sorry, go ahead, Serena. Uh, just as you started saying that, uh, as you started reading, I was thinking to myself, okay, Jillian Jiggs, I've probably read that before. And when you started in with those first few lines, it was almost like that long forgotten melody that just suddenly can- you can play the whole thing in your head. Just as you started speaking those first words, I was like, oh, yes, I know this story. <laughs> and everywhere just like resonated in my brain I was like yes I know this
0: yeah but even just sorry hearing the like Jilly and Jilly and Jilly and Jigs like that is that's my childhood honestly hearing you know my mom and I singing that and and saying it along with the books all the time that was such a that's such a memorable line um just yeah. even the however she thought of the character's name like that is something that's going to be in you know people's memories for a long long time
1: Yeah, I mean, I loved this book growing up, but I'm sad to say that when I came back to it in preparation for this show, the first thing that popped into my head reading the book now is, oh my gosh, Jillian Jigs would be a lot to handle in a kindergarten class. (laughs) I don't know what that says about our school system or or me as a teacher, but like, I feel so jaded now that that's my reaction to it.
2: Well, isn't it so funny how, like, so much of the joy that this book sparks is really because of the memories associated with it, Mm -hmm. right? At least for me, that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I agree. This one really, it transports me back to childhood a lot. And just thinking back on, like, you know, imaginary games that I'd play and crafts and creations that I would make with my brothers or with my friends, like, just kind of seeing what she does with her friends and the... Kind of the magic that they bring to their playtime together um just yeah it kind of brings you back to what what you did when you were younger i love it
1: i, I there, there's a great uh illustration in the book of when jillian jiggs and her friends are outside playing with the cardboard boxes and i remembered i have this vivid recollection in my childhood of looking at at the the way that they decorated those cardboard boxes it is so beautiful and it is just so creative that it just made me want to just go and play with cardboard boxes for hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love how, how creative she is. She really sparks a lot of sparks. A lot, I'm sure she sparked a lot of ideas for younger kids. Um,
2: yeah. yeah, I think this book really speaks to the importance of as adults, taking the time to read with our, with the kids in our lives and play with them because that, those memories that you create are going to last forever.
1: For sure. Well, what I noticed about this book is actually it, it ties into our, our conversations about the character of Jillian Jiggs. I mean, she is just such an iconic character. She is so st- strong willed. So like has such a captivating personality and is so endearing that I mean, her character really transcends the story itself. I mean, I think that I can relate her character a little bit to Madeline or Anne of Green Gables who coincidentally both also have red hair, um, and I think that like the reader's connection or my connection and my love for this book um, and for the other books in the Jillian Jig series is rooted not not really in the stories but rather in the character, like the Jillian Jigs character. What do you make of that? What makes the what do you think makes the character of Jillian Jigs so appealing and so popular um, to such a wide amount of readers?
2: I think her creativity. Like, as as we were saying before, the way that she's able to transform all of these everyday objects into something so magical, turning a, a mop head into a a wig that just transforms you into someone else, I, that is something is so magical. And as a kid, it's something I think that I aspired to. So I think that's what really speaks to me in Jillian Jiggs' character.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. As a child, I always loved... Like dressing up and doing lots of different crafts and kind of different different creative things around the house um and so I loved always reading about her and just seeing what she would make of different situations like I I think it's really special when an author can create a character that like we don't even really care what she's doing we just want to read about her and see see what she is doing like it doesn't you know she can be playing with her friends or playing outside or or doing whatever but um Phoebe Gilman has just made Jillian Jiggs such like a magnetic character that we just always want to come back for more and uh and kind of see what what she's doing and how she's taking on the world
1: Mm -hmm. yeah for me personally I think that she really represents the ideal or like the best of childishness and i mean that in like the best sense of the word i mean she's creative she's imaginative she's outgoing she's fearless like she just embodies the best of what it means to be a child
0: we're going to end off our show on a sweet note with one of my favorite songs i brought to the show this year on mother's day after an emotional reading of robert munch's love you forever i was drawn to this song by nova scotia singer jen grant She wrote it one year after giving birth to her first child, and listening to this one on Mother's Day was certainly a tearjerker. Here is Happy Birthday Baby by Jen Grant. You just heard happy birthday baby by jen grant thanks so much for listening to our show today it was so fun listening back to just some of the stories discussions and songs we have shared throughout the past months
2: this summer we'll be taking a little break from creating new content but you'll get to hear some of our favorite episodes still broadcast on midtown radio every sunday morning at 10 a.m and wednesdays at 2 p.m we are also putting our shows up on YouTube so they can be listened to and shared anytime.
1: We look forward to bringing you new episodes of Midtown Bookshelf starting in September. But if you wanna get in contact with us to share show ideas, book suggestions, or questions, you can always reach us at midtownbookshelf at gmail.com. From all of us here at Midtown Bookshelf, I'm Matt Rappold.
0: I'm Serena McDermott. And I'm Allison Dijack. We hope you have a safe, happy, and healthy summer. And until September,
1: keep keep reading. reading.